Are you on the go and only have a short window to peek at the local headlines? We've got you covered. The KOSU Daily Podcast brings you Oklahoma news every weekday in a condensed and accessible way. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the KOSU Daily to get the scoop on the latest Oklahoma news. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Governor Stitt is wanting lawmakers to return in a special session to deal with taxes. Stitt says the legislature needs to reconvene on October 3rd to pass a tax cut, putting Oklahoma on a path towards zero state income taxes, a measure to increase budget transparency, and a trigger law mandating if a court finds an individual's race, heritage, or political classification exempts them from state taxes, then no Oklahoman will have to pay that tax. Neva, what's been the reaction of legislative leaders? Well, I think what we saw was a a very uh, slow reaction. I mean, they didn't jump right on it, but now that the week has uh, kind of rolled along, (laughs) I mean, the governor rolled this out on Monday. um, uh, We had a comment from uh, the the speaker, uh, I think on Tuesday, saying basically that they would perform their constitutional duty, come in. Uh, Then Wednesday, um, uh, Senate Pro Tem Greg Treat uh, weighed in fairly strongly in a, in a press conference, basically started out by saying that uh, the action was unprofessional, that he hadn't even talked to the governor since I think it was May 19th, he said. Um, and he called this, uh, this whole proposition with not really any detail. Uh, he said it was, I think his words were intensely vague. And so, you know, he, he rolled out kind of the, um, kind of the notion that, okay, governor, if, uh, if this is your, if this is the conversation you want to have, then, um, what schools are going to be closed? Uh, what public safety programs are going to uh, be canceled? Are the tax credits for the for the uh, voucher, uh, the school choice uh, that was passed last session, will they have to be rescinded? And he went on and on, and he said basically, look, four four billion dollars out of a budget is a huge hole, and there's going to have to be a lot of conversation. He basically told the governor, okay, uh, on October third come to the Capitol at 10 o'clock and sit down and and roll out your plan and explain to lawmakers uh, in the Senate budget meeting exactly what uh, what he wants to talk about. So I think he kind of threw it back uh, across, uh, across the bow to the governor and said, look, um, in fact, he made one comment, uh, went so far as to say that he thought the governor uh, had more confidence in the Biden economy than uh, than uh, Gre- than he did than Greg Treat did so there's clearly going to be a lot of serious volume back and forth I think lawmakers uh, basically are taking a wait and see I mm-hmm. mean do we come in and gavel out do we come in and hear um, some real specifics from the governor in this uh, uh, in this budget hearing uh, or what is exactly is going to take place but bottom line is uh, the governor it's nothing new on the governor's part he's he's advocated this he did all the way back in in the beginning of last session. This is nothing new. What we have is a plan that's been rolled out with really no conversation, it appears, with legislative leaders. And whether or not they're willing to really go down this road very far, I think we'll have to wait and see in early October. Right. You like the Biden economy more than I like the Biden economy. (laughs) Them's fighting words in Republican circles. Uh, You know, this deal is a a political onion. And, you know, it just kind of depends on what layer uh, that we want to start at here. And 
the, the layer, and I think that Neva was touching on this a lot, relationships, right? If we think about what this special session call, and, and remember, listeners, it's really an extraordinary session. That's uh, right. And it's it is a matter of whether it's you special. You love that word, don't I, you? I do. It's extraordinary. <laughs> uh, and whether it's special or not is really in the eye of the beholder. And so I think, you know, Senator Treat, Pro Temp Treat, and the governor and the speaker uh, all have very different uh, positions on whether or not this would actually be special. Uh, the, the relationship here between the governor and the legislature does not seem to have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the, the fact that uh, Pro Temp Treat said, I didn't hear about this until the day before or until the day of the announcement, yeah. that's, you know, that's extraordinary uh, that you, you don't communicate this with your legislature that you're wanting to come back. There's no way that the governor is going to come uh, and sit in front of that Senate Appropriations Committee or any of his staff are going to come sit in front of that committee and defend this intensely vague, which I like that, intensely vague, <laughs> a specific type of vagary. That's, uh, what <laughs> That's is right. that, what's that called, a double entendre? Vagueness, uh-huh. yeah, double uh, vagueness. Yeah, double so. vagueness. Um, that he's not going to come and talk about the vagaries of, of this special session call. Um, and if you think about where all of this comes from, this you know goes also back to the relationships between the governor and tribal governments in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, the governor has been you know, very vocal about his concerns over this case called Strobel that's now in front of the Oklahoma State Supreme Court uh, that seeks to uh, apply some of the holdings in McGirt uh, that uh, dealt with criminal law uh, to civil law. So you know, taxation, whether or not the state has the right to tax you know, what is called in law Indian country or people that are in, in uh, uh, native citizens that are in Indian country mm-hmm. uh, and uh, whether they do or don't. You know, even if that happens, uh, you know, if you look, there was an Oklahoma Tax Commission study that the Oklahoma Tax Commission now, I think, denies uh, from their former executive director that said that it was around a hundred, you know, around a two hundred million dollar total impact, both in sales tax uh, and if you uh, and and income tax that that would take to the state. Well, to me, you know, that's that would be terrible. Uh, you know, two hundred million dollars out of the state budget would be awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it really underscores the need to begin working with the tribes in a constructive way to say, if this happens, what does our compacting process look like? Because we all live in Oklahoma. We all depend on these roads. We all depend all of the things that state tax dollars go for, everyone depends on. So can we come to some agreements here? That doesn't seem to be happening with these relationships. Instead, the governor looks like he just wants to hit the nuclear button and take $4 billion uh, out of state revenue in response to the potential loss of $200 million in state revenue. Uh, so there's there's a lot of politics here. There are a lot of relationships uh, that that are, you know, again, you know, the signal here is that they're more strained perhaps than they've ever been. Uh, and we're months away from a regular session coming in in February. What is that going to look like with this governor, with the tribal governments and with the legislature? You've got a pro temp and Greg Treat and a speaker and Charles McCall who are on their last terms mm-hmm. uh, They're They are, you know, they're they're need to have a working relationship with this governor beyond these uh, these terms is a lot less than it was even last year. And so I, I think that they'll be more willing to swing for the fences or go to the mat on the things that they really care about uh, in their negotiations with this governor during the coming session. You know, it's interesting, too. I mean, the governor's the governor's number, that $8 billion in savings. I mean, you've got uh, Pro Tem Treat and you've got uh, uh, the Senate Appropriations Chairman Roger Thompson both saying that that's an over, it's an inflated figure. They don't agree with it. Uh, that it was bloated, I think was the term that uh, uh, Treat used. But you've got you've got this thirteen billion dollar budget that the legislature passed last year, the largest ever. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about these seismic uh, potential cuts. I mean, as you say, swinging at the fences. Um, 
coming into uh, 24, into an election year and another legislative session beyond this extraordinary <laughs> session, as, as, as it is called. But you also have to take the backdrop that uh, the state treasurer, uh, Todd Russ, I mean, recently uh, had a report uh, that indicated that uh, the, the economy, in his words, were slowing. Uh, the numbers that he released basically in the report showed, I think, that uh, in August uh, versus a year ago August, I mean, you had basically uh, something like a 9% decrease. And when you looked at the uh, decrease in the gross production tax, uh, uh, year over year, August last year, August this year, you had something like a 60% decrease. So uh, so it is a, a, a an economy that is clearly slowing by the numbers, and that is concern concerning to lawmakers. And that will be, I think, one of the big talking points in this conversation if you're talking about what to do in terms of uh, moving toward uh, any tax cuts, they have to be done with great deliberation. And I think uh, I think that's been kind of the storyline all through the last session. I mean, that the pro tem said, look, we have to go slow. The, the appropriations chairs, both House and Senate, you know, uh, said, let's go slow. Let's have conversations that are uh, something that have to be more than just a swipe at something one time. We have to look at what it's going to have in terms in terms of its impact on the future. An Oklahoma woman is filing a federal complaint stemming from the state's ban on abortions. J.C. Statton says she was denied life-saving emergency treatment from two Oklahoma hospitals after her doctor said she needed to get an abortion. Statton ultimately needed to travel to Kansas to get the procedure. Ryan, does she have a case here? I think she's got a, a, a fantastic case against the state of Oklahoma here. Um, and Miss Statton was diagnosed with a partial molar pregnancy. And that's, uh, according to the Tulsa World, that's a dangerous condition where the pregnancy develops intertwined with a tumor and it can become cancerous. It can become you know, fatal to the mother. Uh, There's no chance that this baby was going to be born alive. Uh, 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 Staten and her husband wanted this child. They were excited about this child and are devastated that now she probably might not ever be able to have children again. Um, she went to OU Health uh, and they said no. Uh, she went to OU Children's and they said no. Um, basically, the message is her husband related. It was, you need to go sit in the parking lot and wait until you start to crash uh, and go into you know critical condition and you're on the verge of dying before you, you can come in here and then we'll give you uh, life-saving treatment and hopefully it's not too late. And then instead she had to drive all the way to Kansas uh, to get an abortion and while she was there, you know, leave your home state, go to Kansas, her family's out in a parking lot uh, and there are protesters around him uh, holding signs, one of them said stone all whores according to the complaint that was filed in uh, federal court. Now, you know, I, I thought that Jesus said, let those without sin cast the first stone. But, you know, who am I to question the Bible knowledge of a bunch of fanatical imbeciles with cardboard signs and way too much time on their hands? But that's not even part of this legal argument. But it is a consequence of the law that Oklahoma women are faced with these terrible decisions. Just a few weeks after uh, Ms. Staten went to uh, Kansas to get this abortion, this life-saving abortion, the state, the state of Oklahoma Supreme Court said the Oklahoma Constitution guarantees uh, the right, the constitutional right of women to be able to access abortion care uh, to save their life. So if this had happened just a few weeks after that, they wouldn't have just been in violation of federal law. They would have been in violation of the state constitution. Um, you know, there's a lot of confusion. Everybody says, you know, physicians, you know, hospitals, there's a lot of confusion out there with regard to these laws. You know, I do have to wonder, and I, I don't know the answer to this question, but I do have to wonder, you know, you're talking about the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center, OU Children's, 
And were they out at the Capitol when these laws were being proposed saying this type of confusion could put our patients in jeopardy of of potentially dying, uh, losing their lives or or putting them in critical uh, health situations? I don't know that that's the case. I I think that it's incumbent upon upon the University of Oklahoma to use its political power and its knowledge and expertise in the medical field to go to the Capitol and talk to these lawmakers about the actual consequences of of these bills that they're passing, because this is one of them. And and thankfully, she lived. Thankfully, Mm -hmm. she's alive today. Neva. Well, I think uh, I, I think you're right in terms of this uh, federal complaint that's been filed. It obviously has to go through a process. And there's two points of view on this. I mean, OU Health has been very clear that they believe that they've complied with federal law, state law, their regulatory um, uh, compliance standards, everything that would come into play here. And so they feel strongly that uh, that they have a response in terms of their physicians and staff, how they have followed the laws uh, to to the T. And so uh, this will be one to uh, follow. But it appears that um, that you're right, Ryan. I mean, in terms of timing, the the takeaway I think is the fact that the Oklahoma Supreme Court in March did say that a pregnant woman has an inherent right under the Oklahoma Constitution to terminate a pregnant pregnancy when it is necessary to preserve her life. And so we'll see how all this moves forward, but uh, this is one of, I think, many conversations that will continue to be ongoing in Oklahoma across the country as uh, people have uh, very strong stances on both sides of this question. Interesting. You, you see some Republican presidential candidates, uh, uh, Chris Christie out of New Jersey, uh, commented that Oklahoma's uh, abortion laws went too far. Now, of course, he's a pro-life candidate, and he said, you know, there needs to be you know, some states he felt had gone too liberal in, in uh, allowing access to abortions, his including his own state of New Jersey. But then he said Oklahoma, he, he referenced us as a state that had gone too far the other way. And, you know, that's when you when you begin to see kind of those cracks in the national Republican conversation. You know, I wonder at what point that begins to have an effect here in Oklahoma. A Texas Republican running for president wants a federal judge to disqualify Donald Trump from ballots in Oklahoma. John Anthony Castro says Trump needs to be removed based on the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, barring anyone from running for public office if they've engaged in insurrection or rebellion. Neva, what are your thoughts on the challenge? Uh, it's it's a, a challenge that he's uh, done in many states. I think, uh, I think I read that there were four or five other states that he's uh, made this similar uh, challenge. I mean, he's someone, he ran unsuccessfully uh, for the U.S. Senate. He ran unsuccessfully for the U.S. House out of Texas. He's running now for president. I mean, not not uh, something surprising when we continue to hear this conversation about an effort to try to uh, to try to use Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to say that uh, Donald Trump should not be qualified or should not be on the ballot in 2024 for President of the United States. I don't think anyone uh, at this point, uh, from a legal standpoint, appears to be treating this too seriously. But I think when you look at uh, uh, it will not be too long before we have Super Tuesday here in Oklahoma mm-hmm. in March. And more importantly, it will be early December when folks that want to run for president, uh, want to be on the ballot and su- on Super Tuesday in Oklahoma, Democrat or Republican will have to come pay their $5,000 filing fee and uh, and and be placed on the ballot if they if they meet all of the requirements. I think back in 2016, there were a dozen uh, Republicans on the ballot and, you know, maybe seven or eight uh, Democrats, as I recall. So uh, this is just part of the uh, part of the political landscape of presidential politics 2024. And I think we'll see uh, we'll see more of this, not less in the coming months. Right. I think these legal challenges are long shots. Uh, it's it's going to be very difficult in front of a federal court 
uh, to persuade a federal court that the evidence is there to meet the requirements of the 14th Amendment. Uh, it's really a factual question uh, in my mind as to whether or not he participated in, the, uh, in, a, in, in an insurrection. I mean, I think that he did, but, you know, that's that's me, uh, you know, whether or not you can and persuade. And it hasn't been decided yet and, by but, a court or anything. Yeah, I mean, that that is not something, you know, that's my opinion, uh, you know, based upon my observation of, of uh, the evidence. But, you know, there hasn't been an evidentiary uh, decision made by a court, a uh, federal court on this matter. And, you know, he hasn't been convicted of right. participating in any of these things. So uh, until something like that happens... You really don't have a lot to hang your hat on in terms of, you know, saying this, you know, he actually did participate in this. You know, this this part of the, I mean, the 14th Amendment goes back to the aftermath of the Civil War, and this particular provision uh, was placed in there to primarily protect the Union from having, you know, former Confederate uh, officers or, or generals uh, or political leaders from uh, somehow now participating in the government of the Union. Now, there is the kind of the escape clause in there that says that two-thirds of Congress, if they if they wanted to, uh, could forego this requirement. Uh, you know, there's not two-thirds of Congress that would do that today, but, you know, thinking back to, I think it was 1868, whenever this was ratified, uh, that, you know, that, that was what they were high, they, they didn't want to rob themselves of somebody that, well, maybe they really made amends or whatever that means. But, so if you look at where this stands today, I, I think that uh, it's, it's highly unlikely that uh, this is in front of uh, uh, Judge uh, uh, Jody Dishman, who uh, was appointed by Donald Trump, uh, more importantly, was in my section of law school at, at the University of Oklahoma. Piece of trivia But I think Judge Dishman is uh, going to, you know, she's not going to immediately say, well, absolutely, he's barred from the ballot. Uh, there's there's going to have to be a real showing of evidence. I don't think that this candidate or really any other candidate can do that until you start to see actual convictions happening either in state or federal court that you can attach as evidence. The Bond Oversight Commission gives the go-ahead for the Turnpike Authority to move ahead with its Access Oklahoma for an extension in Norman. This comes after a favorable ruling from the state Supreme Court. The council is requiring the OTA to resolve a petition by homeowners to have their voices heard in the high court. But Ryan, this has to be a devastating blow to all the opposition. I think that it is. And, you know, the, the odds of a rehearing are, are pretty low, uh, of success on a rehearing are pretty low. I mean, that's that's usually, you know, you're throwing the ball in the end zone and hoping somebody catches it. That's uh, so in terms of, you know, trying to stop this. Now, there have been other things that have happened in the in the meantime. You had the federal government weigh in, Bureau of Land Management, I believe, uh, say that there were particular areas around Lake Thunderbird that were going to be uh, off limits for turnpike expansion. So that means that they're going to have to try to find new routes. That means that new homeowners are going to be in the crosshairs. That's going to mean a new round of homeowners that will have an opportunity to challenge uh, and be heard. Uh, on these turnpike plans. It's going to mean new meetings that will demonstrate where these new plans are going to go. So it's it's not like we just uh, hit the go button yesterday and they've got shovels in the ground. It's going to be a, a much longer process. Add to that that the Attorney General, uh, Gettner Drummond, has been looking into uh, the Oklahoma Turnpike Authority um, and has called for an audit uh, of the Turnpike Authority as to you know, the money that's being used there, whether it's been wasted, whether it's been misappropriated. And so all of these things are happening. I, I think if you're an opponent of the Turnpike expansion, if you're a homeowner there, uh, this action on Monday certainly isn't good news, but we're a long way from really seeing you know dirt being moved on these projects. Neva? Uh, we may be a, a ways from dirt being moved, but it does appear the process is moving more uh, to the benefit of the Turnpike, uh, right. turnpike uh, folks at this point. And I think the fact that the transportation 
transporta- uh, the transportation secretary, uh, uh, Tim Getz, said this week that, uh, that that first $500 million in the bond sale would move forward kind of regardless of these other issues that are still being resolved. So I think that the intent is to, is to kind of keep it on track, move it back onto uh, kind of onto their um, uh, schedule, even though it's been delayed for more than a year. Um, and the fact that one of the things that I thought was interesting that he pointed out in that meeting was that the five uh, the five billion dollar price tag uh, probably is uh, got a thirty percent increase to it now because the construction costs over the past year mm-hmm. plus have gone up so much and interest rates have have, have also increased so uh, so there'll be implications just on the on the on the cost side to this but I think it is clear and we've seen this all through this process for more than a couple of years now as citizens have led a fight to try to have their voice heard to try to slow this uh, down try to have some resolution more favorably to them, which has not occurred to this point. But the fact that it probably, that type of oversight from the public standpoint probably is not going to go away. I think mm-hmm. folks are going to pay more attention. They're, they now are becoming, uh, it's becoming more understood that this is a long process that you can't just weigh in at the last minute. It's years out in the making. And as they roll these uh, with seven or eight year plan, whatever it is, uh, out that you have to be in the mix and have to be in the details, particularly if it has implications where you live or where you have a business or something of that effect uh, with these proposed turnpikes down the road. So um, it's a it's a story that uh, I think will continue. I think what what we heard from some of the leaders, uh, the opponents, is that we're not going away. We will continue to pursue avenues that uh, have some possibility. But clearly, as you say, Ryan, I think it was uh, it, it had to be demoralizing to have gone down this road for so many months and years and then to see the place where they are this week with the with the actions that were taken but you know i again and we've talked about this before but uh regardless of how this all shakes out whether the opposition gets any sort of a win at the end of the uh, win at the end of the day with this or not it is a refreshing political coalition uh whenever i've, I've seen them out at the capitol you, you you watch them online you've got folks on there to you know from the far left uh to you know the sierra club out talking about environmental issues to people on the far right you know don't tread on me and they're, they're all, modern homeowners and they're all coming together on this deal you know, in this age of political tribalism we don't see those kind of coalitions very often but i tell you what the government brings a bulldozer through your backyard and runs <laughs> over your family home you start to forget who voted for whom in uh, the last presidential election and you're like you're, you're looking at folks as their neighbors uh, uh, and that is a refreshing political turn. Hopefully, uh, it doesn't take the government, you know, tearing down everybody's family homes for us all to get back to uh, being able to see each other uh, as, as human beings and as neighbors again. But uh, that has been a refreshing political dynamic coming out of this opposition. Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt announces a plan for a new arena for the Thunder basketball team, expected to cost at least $900 million. Along with the new arena, the Thunder promises to extend its contract with the city for 25 years. The new funding would be an extension of the MAPS sales tax, along with a contribution from the Thunder itself. Normally, we wouldn't talk about sports here on the program, but Neva, this could have some political implications. Well, it has political implications when a city council has to, has to take a vote, when the the people of uh, uh, the community have to take a vote, and that's where we're at. I mean, mm-hmm. this has been this has been a a, a dialogue going on for. 
uh, more than a year. I mean, this is not a surprise. This has been an ongoing conversation. But what we had roll out with the mayor this week is basically uh, the um, the outline for this uh, new NBA arena. That that basically the cost is uh, uh, approaching a billion dollars. Not not a small price tag. And it is something that will be uh, presented formally to the city council, I believe, next week. They have to make a vote, and then if they if if the vote is affirmative, then uh, then they will, it appears, have a December 12th election where the voters will be able to uh, will be able to make a decision on this. And and uh, you have a lot of things that have kind of come into the package in terms of the Thunder owners saying that uh, if the arena is passed, if, if this money is infused into uh, uh, a, a new building, that they will have a 20-year commit, 25-year commitment yeah. to uh, stay uh, to 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 stay there and play. So it's a it's a it's a big deal for the city of Oklahoma City and the citizens to decide uh, whether you move forward, remain competitive, keep a professional basketball team in town, uh, and this is what it's going to take. And people people will have a, a chance to look at this. It's not a tax increase because what they're going to do is roll this into the continuation of maps, and that will allow for that uh, uh, for that penny uh, sales tax extension or to be uh, something that uh, will fund this over time so owners are in the in the mix which is an interesting piece to it um, 50 million dollars I believe mm-hmm. the, the price ta- the amount that uh, the owners are putting into what is a public facility so there's a lot of buy-in a lot of commitment from a lot of different players in this mix and now we'll see how the conversation moves forward there's clearly if you look at some of the the dialogue from citizens there's clearly uh, folks out there that are uh, not supportive of the idea so there's 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 going to be maybe a little more competitive exchange on this notion um, than in some of the past uh, maps elections we'll just have to see but at least they've thrown uh, they've thrown it on the table the the formal proposal is coming next and we'll see how citizens react beyond that right well you know I love sports like you know, like most Oklahomans. And when I was in the legislature, I supported efforts that ultimately led to the Thunder coming to Oklahoma City to begin with. I think that the Thunder being here have been uh, an enormous uh, benefit and uh, for the city of Oklahoma City, but for the entire state uh, globally. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of recognized globally as, as a result of that. And we have an, an intensely loyal fan base right here uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to remember that as many uh, T-shirts as you buy and as many hats as you've got and as many radio shows as you listen to and as many stats as you memorize uh, and you love these teams and you love these players, they're a business. And if your friend comes to you and says, hey, you know, if you want to keep hanging out with me, you got to give me $900 million. They're not really your friend. They're a business and they're making a business decision. And the city of Oklahoma City needs to do the same thing. We need to, we need to remove the emotion from this and start to think about priorities. Just this morning, uh, drive, you know, driving around Oklahoma City this morning and, and doing my, my morning errands before I came to the station, uh, you know, walked my daughter to school in our neighborhood, public elementary school. I had to walk in the street because we don't have any sidewalks with traffic. It's a dangerous situation, you know, trying to get that fixed. We're told we don't have money for it, uh, you know, that that project is years and years in the future if we're ever going to get there at all. Uh, drove on class today, class today around, I think, 30th or 36th. I saw a hole in the in the street that was big enough. They had, they had, they had it marked off, big, big enough to swallow a compact car. Worse than all of that, on my way here, it's a rainy morning, thank goodness for the rain, but on my way here, I saw 
people sleeping on the ground under tarps to avoid the rain in Oklahoma City. $900 million. It's not a tax increase because it's an extension of an existing tax, but it is a diversion of revenue that could go to other priorities in the, st- in the city of Oklahoma City. So, you know, we I think we have to think closely about if we extend that tax, if we give that to the thunder um, and, and we get, you know, I'm no doubt benefit out of that. Uh, are those benefits outweighed by other benefits from investments that we can make in other infrastructure and other services in the city of Oklahoma City? My sense right now as a voter is you've got a hard case to make to me that everything else that I'm seeing around that needs to be invested in uh, is less important uh, than an investment in an NBA team and a new arena that I'm sure would be awesome. I mean, I'd, I'd probably go, I'd probably buy tickets. Uh, but is it is it really a priority? Is it and if it is a priority, is it the top priority uh, for $900 million? And when you look at this six-year proposed extension um, and you look at the benefit, I mean, I think that's, what this, that, that's, that's the case that's going to be made on the, uh, on, the, on the side of folks that want to see this arena become a reality because the likelihood no new re- arena means no Thunder team, no professional basketball team. Uh, and when you look at the associated uh, benefits and the revenue infusion, I mean, and you look at a community and a, and a city moving forward if you want to be quote the big league city that they that they talk in terms of then you have to look at making these uh, investments i mean we saw this all the way back to the very first conversation when maps became a reality maps one the original mm-hmm. maps when there was a lot of this same conversation going on did we need this and this and this but the package was uh, something presented to the people and they agreed with it and have subsequently agreed with the uh, with the additions that have come on with additional maps projects and programs so i think uh, i i think it's the long view I think the fact that when you talk about the economic implications, uh, the impact, uh, not only from tourism, economic development, the fact that it helps in terms of recruiting major industry and businesses. I mean, they look at how attractive the community is and what it has to offer for their workforce, for their executives. And so uh, it's part of it, it's tar- it's part of a much larger conversation. Doesn't take away from all of those budget items that you're talking about from the city standpoint or the or county or state, Ryan, in terms of uh, yes, I mean, those issues are always with us and and dollars always have to be allocated. No one ever thinks they get enough for the projects that they care the most about. Uh, but it's it is that trade-off and that uh, that ability to create a total package and a total look that that the um, that the citizen is comfortable with and believes that their money, in total is being well spent and they're getting a you know getting the best bang for the buck so we'll see how this campaign uh, kind of uh, launches and how it moves forward but i think it will be in the words of the mayor i mean he he has kind of laid his political capital on the line on this that this is something that really needs to take place we'll see how they move it forward and if it becomes a reality in december if that's the vote orion and diva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of kosu its staff or management Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. Hey there, this is Ginny May Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media, like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram. 
and we'll see you there.